This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby's Nimer. It was a big surprise to everyone, including the new Liberal majority government. What brought about the 11th hour red tide that put the grits back in power with a huge mandate? And what does it mean for Zoomers? We'll wrap up our Zoomer election panel. Just three more sleeps before Idea City 2014. We'll talk to one presenter who is an actuary by day and an adventurer by dint of his epic bucket list journey. Jean-Guy Sariol rode 4,815 kilometers to become the oldest and fastest Canadian to cross the Atlantic Ocean solo. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A week after Quebec became the first province to legalize physician-assisted death, the Canadian Medical Association is wading into the discussion. The organization representing most of the country's doctors says Canadians need to have a national dialogue about end-of-life care, including their opinions about euthanasia and physician-assisted death. The CMA also says Canada needs a national strategy that would provide palliative care to dying Canadians, no matter where they live. Here is CMA President Dr. Hugo Francescuti. What the report says is that Canadians want good access to palliative care, and Canadians also say they want to have the ability to have control over themselves as well. Not all of them agree with that. A new CIBC poll conducted by Nielsen highlights the gap between expectations and reality when it comes to Zoomer finances. It finds that on average, Canadians currently holding some form of debt expect to be debt-free by the age of 53. That's two years sooner than a similar poll conducted in 2011. However, more than two-thirds of Canadians aged 55 to 64 currently owe money, also an increase since the last poll. In this age group, 40% have lines of credit, 32% still have mortgages, 29% carry credit card balances, and a quarter have car loans. The oldest man in the world has died in Manhattan. Alexander Imich, a Polish-born chemist and psychic researcher, passed away last week at the age of 111. Imich was born in 1903 in a town in Poland that was then part of Russia. He and his wife fled the Nazis and survived a Soviet labor camp in the Second World War. They eventually moved to the United States in 1951. His wife, a painter and therapist, died in 1986. Imich believed he was blessed with good genes because his father lived into his 90s. He also exercised 
ate sparingly, and never drank alcohol. But he attributed his longevity to the fact that he and his wife never had children. And speaking of children, Zoomer Weekend Review producer Paul Thomas and his wife Julia welcomed their first child, Avery Lillian Ruth, last Wednesday. Avery weighed in at 6 pounds 7 ounces, and she's adorable. Mom, dad, and baby are happy but tired. Congratulations from everyone at Zoomer Media. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Was it a last-minute liberal surge, or did the pollsters just get it wrong? This week, Ontario voters decided not to punish the governing liberals, instead handing them a new liberal majority government. What does it all mean? I'm here with our Zoomer election panel. Susan Eng, CARP's vice president of advocacy, Dale Goldhawk, host of Goldhawk Fights Back, and John Wright, senior VP at Ipsos Global. We did a, a very, very large exit poll on Election Day, close to 7,000 people. And we were reflecting on it late into the night to try and figure out what had happened to produce the majority. And here's the rub. 9% of people decided at the ballot box, primarily in 416 and 905. And of that, 35% went Liberal, 25% went NDP, and 17% went Tory. So literally on the day of the ballot, 9% of people voted and crushed the Tories. They did it in the most populous areas for, for seats, and that was the swing. I have to agree with you, John. I decided at the ballot box. My husband decided at the ballot box. You guys, did any of you decide? No, of course not. I decided well in advance, (laughs) and I'm certainly not going to tell you who I voted for. I don't want to know. But, John, Mm -hmm. we talked about undecided from time to time during the whole campaign. So the people that went behind the little cardboard thingy and then decided what to do, are they within that group, or is this an unexpected undecided? What we're talking about here, Dale, are people that actually decided to go out and vote, like me, who showed up and said, like me, I'm going to vote this way because this is how I feel this morning. Susan, did you make the decision at the ballot box? or No, I made my decision beforehand, and so did a lot of CARP members. Let me just tell you um, the results of our weekend poll last weekend, which I did not reveal. The percentage vote that they had going in this week was uh, Liberals at 43% and PCs at 38% with 13% to the NDP. That's majority territory. And I saw that, and that was so off the grid compared to all the public polls out there, I thought, well, <laughs> maybe I just won't say anything. But that, that, that's, uh, you know, that predicted the majority. And, you know, they predicted the Harper majority, too. Tim Hudak stepped down right after the results uh, were posted. Uh, there's going to be a leadership race. So uh, one question is, whether the PC party, are they going to stick to this uh, hard right turn or are they going to go back to being more like the red Tories uh, that kept them in power for more than 40 years? Well, I mean, I would think they're going to make a bit of a sharp turn because they've certainly tried these kinds of tacks now for two uh, elections in a row, particularly with the last one. So some kind of uh, turnabout is, uh, is uh, certainly going to happen. The real thing going forward is not so much the election of, of the leader and maybe what happens to Andrea, but what happens at Queen's Park. I mean, you, you have a Liberal Party now that owns Queen's Park for four years. There's also something else that's going to change. For the last two and a half years, right after the minority government went in, the opposition, led by Tim Hudak, made sure nothing happened at Queen's Park. 
anything that they might have wanted to have happen, even under their own uh, platform, did not happen. So, for example, one of the things that, that held up forever and ever was the home renovation tax credit that we actually agreed with and, and pushed for. Another one was the workplace leave for families who have caregiving responsibilities, for workers who have caregiving responsibilities. These are the kinds of bills that the opposition was holding up just because they could. But just remember, while all that's going on, there's still the looming economic situation and the fact Absolutely. that we aren't in good economic oh, yeah. well, and financial good health, and all of that has to be well, yeah, they the have to be working time. together. So usually the word is you need to have your first budget has to be tough, and then you can be nice as you get closer to an election. But if she's committed to this budget, it, it's she's spending she money. She hasn't specifically said that the budget that will be presented will be exactly the same budget that was the platform, and before that, the budget that was turned down. So there, I, I don't know if there's going to be any finagling or well, uh, wiggling around with what that budget actually well, says. Isn't that uh, well, what they, they do, finagle? And I, I have to say that with you know Moody's and a few of the other credit rating agencies have probably you know held their fire during the election campaign. I wouldn't be surprised if something happens as a result you know in the days that follow. So the economy may in fact be along with the budget uh, intertwined and be the main focus for this government. Susan, a key issue for CARP, the Made in Ontario Pension Plan, looks like a shoo-in to go ahead. Uh, but Dale, your pet issue, wind turbines... Um, well, and don't you think I didn't hear from my wind turbine friends all across Ontario today? And do tell. They are, uh, of course, upset because Kathleen Wynne uh, uh, won and Tim Hudak did not. He had a very specific undertaking with those wind turbines. He was going to put a moratorium on them, kill the feed-in tariff program, and just back away from many aspects of the Green Energy Act, and in particular, returning local planning power to local municipalities. That was a big and is a big deal. Andrea Horvath, did she do the right thing or the wrong thing, and uh, will she last, John? Oh, my goodness. I don't know whether she will last or not. She's gone through two campaigns, and, well, she kept the seats the same, maybe mixed it up a bit. I think she's, she looked pretty shell-shocked uh, the night of the election campaign and said she's going to take a little bit to decide, but I would think that her days are numbered. I think there were three characteristics that came out about the leaders. Uh, Kathleen Wynne was seen to be authentic. Like her, love her, not. At least she was a straight-ahead. I think that Andrea Horvath looked as though she was grabbing for power regardless of principles that the party had stood for before. And Tim Hudak was exposed as, you know, parroting uh, Tea Party type tactics. And so, you know, that kind of inauthenticity of the opposition, I think, really hurt them. Okay. Final thoughts. You can poll all you want, but democracy is all about people making decisions in the voters' booth. It's a pleasure to watch it and just a, a miracle to be part of it. Okay. I have to thank all of you, John, Dale, and Susan, for a very interesting, insightful, and fun election panel. I'm going to miss <laughs> this, guys. Thank you. Well, we'll get together in four years. Okay. Take care. Thank <laughs> you. Bye-bye. <laughs> I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We're just a few days away from the annual Idea City Conference. My next guest is a presenter who made his daring and dangerous dream a reality. Jean-Guy Salion is the oldest Canadian to ever row solo across the Atlantic. He'll share his incredible journey with us after the break. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. 
Not only is he the oldest Canadian to row solo across the Atlantic, Jean-Guy Sariol is also the fastest. What does it take to complete a journey like this? And why would a successful 60-year-old actuary want to do it? Jean-Guy dropped by our studios ahead of his presentation at next week's Idea City Conference. About 10 years ago, I read a book of uh, a gentleman, a German gentleman who had crossed the ocean twice in small boats, one time in a kayak and the second time in a canoe. And uh, from that time, I became fascinated by the fact that it was doable, that it was a human feat that was achievable. And uh, fast forward about uh, six years later, in 2010, I read the story of uh, Katie Spots. She's uh, a young American woman who had just finished her crossing of the Atlantic in about March 2010. And she had done it in a rowboat. When I saw how the uh, modern age um, rowboats were built and equipped, I understood that was the way to do it. Again, what about this particular challenge, adventure, appealed to you? I'm not really sure why this one caught on. I I have a friend who asked me, I'd like to talk to you about how this changed you. And frankly, it hasn't. But I realized that the reason it hasn't changed me, it's because I just grew to the point where it was time for me to do something like that. I'm very curious about the personality thing because you're an actuary. Yeah. Actuaries yeah. are, shall we say, not known for taking risks. <laughs> and uh, in your leisure time or your, your other life, you do the most risky, adventurous thing. <laughs> and it's funny because I actually do not consider myself as a risk taker. I, I just do things. And I think part of the fun for me is to understand how it can be done as safely as possible. I mean, obviously, there are risks involved, but they're mostly uh, either not being prepared for it or weather. Before you undertook this voyage, what did you think the most dangerous or the scariest thing would be and what, in fact, turned out to be the scariest part? Well, uh, in in terms of danger, there's no doubt that weather is the main issue uh, because that, uh, unfortunately, that can kill you if you really get caught in a major hurricane. The other real danger is, uh, is, is boat traffic. Uh, if, if a cargo ship was to hit you, they wouldn't even know that they just did, and, and the boat would just disintegrate. But everything else is really a matter of fear as opposed to real danger. For example, I was really, really afraid of my first night out. I thought I would totally freak out, and uh, it was really a non-event. I, I mean, you're so focused on what you're doing, you also starting, I started to get seasick, and maybe being seasick just allowed me to forget everything else. Um, and, and, and after that, uh, I didn't know really how I would react to everything else, but I knew exactly what was supposed to happen. At the end of the day, if, if weather is not that bad, it's really like a bad camping trip. <laughs> no, what a delight. Uh, you say that there was a point where you became afraid of almost everything. What was that? Yeah, the, uh, with about three weeks to go, um, daily I was exchanging with my uh, crew on land with Tony, and he would give me the you know, upcoming uh, seven days uh, weather. And at that time, we were expecting bigger weather. But also, I think what happened is 
that when you get close to the end, you know that if you don't make it now because you're so close, it's because something horribly, you know, terrific happened. So I think that's really what happened to me is that I became concerned that something would happen and that would, you know, break the whole thing. And and that lasted about a week. And the day that we had the big weather, I I was actually just amazed by how beautiful it was. Uh, the the ocean was white as it had ever been during the whole trip. I mean, I had big waves and I had big wind. And, and sometimes when the winds were so strong, I couldn't even row because the wind was, would push the oars and, and the boat would go all kinds of ways. So I would just let the boat drift. And, uh, and that day was a magical day in some ways because I reconciled with the ocean and, and was really happy again to be on the ocean. And then for the last two weeks, it was uh, you know, just drifting down to the finish line. You can see and meet Jean-Guy Soriol at this year's Idea City Conference. It all takes place this coming Wednesday to Friday at Toronto's Kerner Hall. For tickets and more information, visit ideacityonline.com. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. A great country music icon would have celebrated his 77th birthday today. Find out who after the break. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Fly By Night is a musical set during the 1965 blackout in the U.S. Northeast by Kim Rosenstock, Will Connolly, and Michael Mitnick. It's at Playwright Horizons on West 42nd. In the Windy City, When the Greeks Ruled Egypt is an exhibition which explores this confluence of cultures through over 75 artworks. It's at the Art Institute of Chicago. To London, England, where Tony and Grammy-nominated composer and lyricist Andrew Lippa is on stage as part of his musical review, The Life of the Party. And in Rome, discover the life of late director, poet, and writer Pier Paolo Pasolini. The exhibition is divided into six sections, beginning with Pasolini's arrival in Rome in 1950 and ending with his death in 1975. It's at the Exhibition Palace. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book. Today marks the anniversary of the birth of one of country music's biggest icons, Waylon Jennings, who passed away at the age of 64 in 2002. He was born in Littlefield, Texas on June 15, 1937. Jennings began playing the guitar at the age of 8, and by the time he was 12, he was performing on local radio stations. After dropping out of high school, he became a radio DJ on KLLL in Lubbock, Texas. It was there that he met another local Texan musician, Buddy Holly. Jennings was recruited to go on tour and play bass in Holly's band. He took part in the now infamous Winter Dance Party Tour of 1959 and was supposed to have a spot on the chartered plane that crashed the day the music died, taking the lives of Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper. Jennings had traded places with the Big Bopper at the last minute because the Bopper had a cold and wanted the comfort of the airplane. The crash haunted him for years, and it racked him with guilt. 
but he was still able to push forward with his music. He released a string of albums in the 60s that featured traditional country and folk favorites. In the 1970s, he helped define the outlaw country movement. He released the critically acclaimed albums Lonesome, Henri, and Mean and Honky Tonk Heroes. In 1978, he teamed up with another country legend, Willie Nelson. Together, they rose to the top of the charts with this song. Here is Mamas, Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. Cowboys ain't easy to love and they're harder to hold. They'd rather give you a song than diamonds or gold Long star belt buckles and old faded Levi's And each night begins a new day If you don't understand him, he don't die young He'll probably just ride away Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys Cars that drive them old trucks. Let them be doctors and lawyers and such. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Cause they never stay home and they're always alone. Even with someone they love. Cowboys like smoky old pool rooms and clear mountain mornings. Little warm puppies and children and girls of the night Them that don't know him won't like him And them that do sometimes won't know how to take him He ain't wrong, he's just different But his pride won't let him do things To make you think he's right That was Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson with Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. Today would have been Waylon Jennings' 77th birthday. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to meet a Canadian who is one of the most popular men in China. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Van Driel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air and The Garden Show.